Hey there, I'm so excited to tell you about Radiotopia's newest show, The Recipe with Kenji and Deb. Kenji and Deb are two of the best home cooks alive. J. Kenji Lopez-Alt of The Food Lab and The Walk, and Deb Perlman of Smitten Kitchen. Two of my go-tos to make sure I'm getting the perfect recipe for everything from meatballs to muffins. They're pros who obsess over techniques and essential ingredients, so you learn everything you need to create your perfect recipe. You can finally be excited to eat what you make, and maybe even impress your friends and family. Help us welcome the newest show to the Radiotopia family. Find The Recipe with Kenji and Deb on your favorite podcast platform starting February 26th. This episode is brought to you by Progressive. Progressive helps you compare direct auto rates from a variety of companies so you can find a great one, even if it's not with them. Quote today at Progressive.com to find a rate that works with your budget. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Comparison rates not available in all states or situations. Hello and welcome to This Day in Esoteric Political History from Radiotopia. My name is Jody Avergan. This day, October 13th, well technically October 14th, in 1912, Teddy Roosevelt gave a campaign speech in Milwaukee. Okay, that's not that interesting, but he was doing so as a third-party candidate, the nominee for the so-called Bull Moose Party. He, of course, had already been president, but now, after a term away, he was back trying to run for a third term. Okay, that makes the story a little more interesting. Now, listen to this. His speech began with the words, and I quote, "'Friends, I shall ask you to be as quiet as possible. I don't know whether you fully understand. I have just been shot.'" Aha! So that is the reason that we are talking about this Roosevelt speech. He was giving it after having just been shot while getting into his car on the way to the speech. The bullet still lodged in his chest, blood seeping out through his shirt, and he carried on and gave a 90-minute speech on that night in Milwaukee. So... Let's talk about it. Here, as always, is Nicole Hammer of Columbia. Hello, Nikki. Feel bad that I don't have that good of an opening line. Um, <laughs> I yeah. know, seriously. Friends, hey. yeah, podcasters, <laughs> I should just let you know that I just ate pancakes for breakfast. That's yes. right. <laughs> uh, and also with us, our special guest today is Alex Schmidt, friend of the show and host oh. of the new podcast, Secretly Incredibly Fascinating. Alex, thank you for doing this. It's so good to be here. I'm, I'm fresh off the yeah. farmer's market. I feel good. It's not getting shot, but <laughs> yeah. it's something. <laughs> you are your own kind of bull moose, I suppose, for doing that. Um, and I will say the new show from Alex is really great. They take something that is secretly incredibly fascinating, like pears or the planet Venus, and uh, talk about it for each episode. So you should go check that out. But he is here to help us talk about Teddy Roosevelt getting shot. So you want to you want to paint the scene? I kind of mentioned that he was he got shot on his way to this speech after leaving dinner. But uh, what else do we need to know about this actual incident? Yeah, it's and thank you for all that. It's it's a thing where it's October of an election year, so I would imagine the the things are at a fever pitch, especially with a, a three way race with a former president and an incumbent and Woodrow Wilson and uh, Teddy Roosevelt is in Milwaukee. He's he's entering his car outside a hotel, and John Schrenk, uh, who is only famous to history for this, comes up and uh, tries to put a bullet in him. But he has a thick overcoat on. He has a glasses case. We all know his glasses. And then he has like 50 pages of speech all to slow down the bullet uh, in a way that saves his life. Bullet still enters his chest, though, right, Nikki? 
It does. I mean, first of all, thank God that he was long-winded and nearsighted because that glasses case and that speech really did slow the damage <laughs> that it did. And, you know, <laughs> Roosevelt was... A, na- a naturalist. He was like an outdoorsman. And so he'd spent a lot of time hunting. And so he gives himself his own self-assessment. He coughs into his hands. And when he sees that there's no blood there, he's like, okay, I didn't get shot in the lungs. Like it's in my chest, but not my lungs. So I can still go and give this speech. And he does. And, you know, he starts strong. The ending was a little more, uh, a little tougher for him as he began to start to feel the effects of having been shot in the chest. Yeah. yeah, yeah, you would think so. I mean, he should get some props for it. Th- Look, like, I wouldn't even give the speech after <laughs> eating dinner, which is what he did, because I'd just feel like, oh, I'm a little sleepy after I eat. I don't want to go give a speech. You know, he ate dinner, got shot, and still gave the speech. So I think he should get his props. And if he ran out of steam by the end, uh, you know, I think that's understandable. Fair um, enough. Yeah, and, and, and he does this interesting thing, Alex, um, also, like, immediately after getting shot, he confronts Shrink, right? They kind of, they kind of, like, meet each other. It's this really fascinating moment. Yeah, it's very old-fashioned. Uh, people people now are like, where did all the politeness and the sweetness of politics go? And it is <laughs> it is a little sweet that he says, a, a quote, don't hurt him, bring him here, I want to see him. And like checks on the guy. I don't know. I, I get, maybe it's just uh, that he thinks he's so much of a gentleman he has to. I don't understand the mentality, but it was how they worked. Well, and I think that he also wanted to figure out why the guy had just shot him. And so he (laughs) asks him, and the guy doesn't answer. And he's like, well, you're no use to me. Get out of here. Um, And they take him away after that. But yeah. Right. Now I'm mad. Now now I'm upset. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Let's do a little on Shrink's motives. And then I want to talk a little bit about the larger political context of this moment. But, you know, what do we know, Nikki, as far as we can tell about why someone in Milwaukee took a shot at, at Roosevelt? Well, the reason that he gives for shooting Roosevelt was that Roosevelt was doing something that had never been done before in U.S. history. He was running for a third term as president. And, you know, Roosevelt had been called a tyrant for doing this. Um, People worried that he was breaking this really important democratic norm that presidents gave up power after two terms. And so that's kind of what the broader critique, I don't want to give too much credit here to Shrank. He also said that he had a dream in which um, William McKinley visited him and told him that he needed to do away with with Roosevelt. Um, But it was this third term thing that he pins the attempted assassination on. I'm also fascinated that, I mean, obviously he's out of his mind, but I'm fascinated that McKinley was the president he thinks told him to do it because McKinley was assassinated. Like, it's almost as if McKinley yep. was in the dream, like, this went great for me. He's going to love it. Like, it's a really strange <laughs> <laughs> belief to have. Yeah. Um, I mean, this is also, I think, a little bit of a reminder of, we've talked about this in the past, but, you know, often these motives are tough and i think you know someone who's a little unhinged anyway and then they glom on to sort of the political context and so you know i don't know i i guess i'm just expressing i don't know i don't often know how to navigate these moments because i do want to understand it as a political act but i also don't want to diminish or put aside the fact that these are often people who are just unstable and unhinged and 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 behaving in kind of violent chaotic ways and it's mostly that so i don't know like do you think of this as a political act I do think of it as a political act. I mean, in part because he gives a political motive. And, you know, we can we can get into how much that was actually the the propulsive motive. Or actually, we can't get into it. We can't really know the inside of his mind. Yeah. Um, but I think one of the reasons that this motive sticks 
so well is because it was part of a broader political debate over what Teddy Roosevelt was doing. Um, And part of the strangeness of the 1912 election, I mean, it it wasn't just three candidates, it was four. There was um, a socialist, Eugene Debs, was running for the first time um, of his many, many runs for president. (laughs) Um, So it was a chaotic kind of race, and this just made it that much more chaotic. It seems like there's such pride, too, in uh, even Washington only had two terms and and FDR hadn't happened yet. And it was just a thing where uh, you don't support killing any president. But this guy thought, I am going to somehow save democracy, which also makes him a megalomaniac. And as you said, very well, Jody, uh, uh, unstable. Yeah. Um, And I mean, Alex, I mean, what do you make of the fact that Roosevelt then goes and gives that speech? I mean, it seems badass, but it also maybe has a hint of like the guy who can't not run for a third term, also can't stop himself from going and giving that speech. Exactly, yeah. I think I, it's it's interesting because I've always loved history. And then I think as a kid, this was one of the things on the highlight reel of Teddy Roosevelt is the coolest. Like he, he does anything. He's a superhero. And then now that I am older and I think also have done live comedy before, I find it incredibly rude that he gave this speech. Like you just make an audience sit there and listen to your prepared remarks when you've gotten shot. That's they're just all like sweating in their chairs. That's the worst thing you can do to a group of people. Very interpersonally. Rude. Maybe, maybe it was a bit. Maybe it was co- like Andy Kaufman esque before his time. <laughs> he was doing a little yes and in response to getting right. shot. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, so Nikki, where does this fit into the like? you know, the mythos of Roosevelt that, uh, that Alex was getting at. Oh, it's completely in line with it. I mean, this is the the mythos that Roosevelt had been building as a rough rider when he was um, in the military. It's something that was so core to his presidential image. This idea of masculinity was just everything that Roosevelt was about. And getting shot in the chest and not letting it phase you is exactly the kind of masculinity, dare I say, kind of toxic masculinity that <laughs> Teddy Roosevelt was um, was promoting throughout his career as a politician. Right. And even the the name of the party that or the nickname of the party, I suppose, you know, this was the progressive party. Um, it was running on a progressive platform, but it was commonly known and is commonly known as the Bull Moose Party. I think that line comes from Roosevelt basically saying, I'm, I'm down to run for a third term. I feel as strong as a bull moose. And I can't really pin this down in the story of this evening, but there is some reporting that he then in his speech says, he uses that that specific phrase. He says, you know, I've been shot, but I'm going to continue. You can't bring a bull moose down or whatever. So, yeah, it totally fits into that hyper-masculinity. And then I also I feel like then there's this weird later internet version where, like, there's that internet picture of Roosevelt riding a moose. And as I understand it, that's from a, like, faking of a picture made by a newspaper at the time. But the internet just mm-hmm. picks it up as, well, he can do anything. Like, if he started the National Parks and he had this party name... Surely he rode hoofed animals that do not accept that in real life. They're not on board. (laughs) Nikki, what is I mean, what is the political platform of the Bull Moose Party? And like, is it really a vanity project uh, to feed this man's ego? Or are they really trying to find a lane? And we've talked a lot about kind of when third parties have thrived and how they fill, you know, an actual political vacuum. 
I'm going to call this one a both and. I mean, there was a real split in the Republican Party between a conservative wing and a newly progressive wing. And Roosevelt had been a more progressive president, and he had grown more progressive during Taft's presidency. Taft had been his vice president and and follows him um, after Roosevelt leaves office in 1909. And it was sort of the early days of the progressive movement. It wanted um, stronger government. It wanted the government to do more for the health and welfare of the American people. And this split that happens in 1912 ultimately tears that progressive wing from the Republican Party for a while. That's why the Republican Party is so conservative in the 1920s. And we should say that this was a pretty popular standpoint. Roosevelt comes in second. Um, The way the election finishes is Woodrow Wilson finishes first, the third party candidate Roosevelt finishes second, and the sitting president, William Taft, finishes third. Yeah. Wow. Um, And it is interesting to think, obviously, we think of of FDR as the progressive champion and to sort of see the seeds of that maybe in his, in Teddy's campaign here, I think is interesting. Uh, Alex, I, you know, I, another thing I think we should talk about is that Roosevelt does, in the wake of this, kind of pin this on the tenor of the campaign, as you, as you hinted at, and, and does use it as a chance to say, you know, our politics is getting out of hand. I wonder what you make of that. I wonder what, how you compare the politics of that time. Obviously, we're living in a moment now. We're thinking, we're thinking a lot about the tenor of our politics. I mean, what do you make of him yeah. actually not just being macho, but actually saying, you know what, like this, this, this reflects something that, um, you know, is, is a little more worrisome uh, yeah that's a great thing to pick out because uh, you guys have picked out here that he said uh, quote it is a very natural thing that weak and vicious minds should be inflamed to acts of violence by the kind of awful mendacity and abuse blah 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 i feel like we've always said that about campaigns even though they're always rough and they're always brutal and you have even adams and jefferson saying the worst things in the world about each other from jump uh it also i feel like then and now it feels like what people say when they already have power and don't like that it's being challenged. They're like, oh, well, my opponents are so rude. That's the problem here. Uh, without like actually justifying the authority they have and like the platform they have to, to be in charge of things. We should also point out that this was a pretty vicious campaign right from the get-go. I mean, Republicans saw Roosevelt as basically betraying Taft, and Roosevelt had run in the Republican primary. And during that primary, Roosevelt backers and Taft backers were fighting. They were calling one another names. They were throwing objects at one another. Like, it had been a pretty rough-and-tumble campaign season already. And I think that, at least, is part of what Roosevelt is responding to, this idea that if there's an air of violence around campaigns, that it can create the atmosphere for this kind of event. Yeah. And Alex, I mean, yeah, I mean, I think about this a lot. I mean, I take your point, Alex, um, you know, but I also think that, yeah, that like the coarsening of our politics or however you want to put it does have a trickle down effect. I mean, we've talked about incidents on this show uh, before where people look to their leaders and and they don't yeah, look sure. to them for like direct models, but they but the but leaders create a permission structure in which to act in a certain way. And I think we're seeing that now. And, you know, I tend to not kind of look for the fainting couch when I see politicians behaving badly. But I also like <laughs> I understand that there is an effect there. And so. I don't know. It's something. I mean, I'm, obviously, it's something I'm thinking about a lot now. Oh, totally. I and maybe maybe I should have done the whole rest of the Roosevelt quote because at the end of it, he blames the papers. 
like well, the, the violence Nikki is speaking of, that's violence. That's that's very worrisome. But like he's he's blaming the words of the media for him getting shot, and I don't think that's fair at all. That that's not the right yes, thing. Yes, the to only do. consistent thing in American politics is that politicians will turn around and, and blame the media. So there we go. <laughs> Indeed. You know, one other thing we should mention, and it's certainly in the it, it ties to some of the news now, is you know we have a candidate here, obviously who. Um, takes ill, is, is shot, ends up, eventually ends up hospitalized. Um, you know, what are the nuts and bolts, Nikki, uh, of just what happens to the campaign in the heat of the campaign? And how does that echo or not echo to what we're seeing now when Trump ended up in the hospital and we have these other issues floating around? Yes. What happens when a month before the campaign, a major party candidate is uh, is hospitalized? Well, in this case, out of respect, um, Taft and Wilson suspend their campaigns. Taft wasn't really doing that much campaigning anyway because he was president. Um, and they, pull, they pulled all of their online ads in uh, the Texas suburbs. <laughs> That's right. They were a little slow taking down the television ads, but the <laughs> online ads came down right away. Uh yeah, you know, they take a few days off. Um, Wilson needed a few days anyway because he had a, a hoarse voice that he needed to rest. But after a few days, they're back out there. Roosevelt isn't able to give another speech for two weeks. So Wilson really has the field mostly to himself for the closing weeks of the campaign. And I also, I, I am heartened by a thing I think I see across all of American history where we're just deeply uncomfortable with the president being harmed in any way at all. We just as a nation, we're not good with it. Uh, just did a secretly incredibly fascinating episode about President Franklin Pierce, who does not loom large in history, but he was <laughs> still alive and around when Lincoln was assassinated and it had never happened before and been a thing. And he was living in New Hampshire and a crowd of local residents became a mob outside of his house because they felt that Pierce was not uh, half staffing his flag and doing enough like honoring of what had happened to Lincoln because it's just hmm. it's just very jarring to us across all of history for like in this story, Roosevelt has been the president and he's been shot. Like that's that's yeah. the biggest story in the country immediately. And uh, and none of us feel good about it. All right. Well, I think that's a good place to, to end it. Um, so Alex Smith, thank you so much. And uh, the show is secretly incredibly fascinating. So go check out that episode about Pierce and a bunch of other fascinating things. But thanks for doing this. Oh. This is great. This is great. I, I feel like a bull moose, he said cornily. But it, it feels good. Thanks, guys. <laughs> and Nicole Hammer, thanks to you as always. Thanks, Jody. This Day in Esoteric Political History is a proud member of the Radiotopia Network from PRX. Our producer and researcher is Jacob Feldman. Our other producer is Brittany Brown. My name is Jody Avergan. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you soon. It is, as you may have heard, an election year. But do you feel like you have a lot of choices? Here are the new candidates, same as the old candidates. How did we get here again? The fact is, our democracy is broken. We can all feel it, and there's data to back it up, too. A Princeton University study found that public opinion has near zero impact on what laws are passed. You know what does have an impact, though? Money! 
You can call it lobbying, you can call it super PAC spending, you can call it corruption. But luckily, there are things we can do right now to fix this broken system. This podcast is part of the Pro-Democracy Podcast Coalition, a group that's banding together to make our democracy better. We're working with Represent Us, the largest grassroots organization fighting to end corruption city by city and state by state. You can join the movement too. Go to represent.us slash podcast to find out more. Radiotopia. Radiotopia.